Uh, we read the scriptures. That's all we've done so far. And uh, I already saw some eyebrows reaching to the sky. So, uh, like this is probably not the most popular topic that we'll cover through our Christ and Controversy series. Um, I can tell you right now, I wrestled uh, deeply with this topic. On Tuesday night, it was up all night. Uh, what I felt like wrestling with the Lord and all I heard as con- continuously through the night is authority, 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 authority. Because I didn't want to preach this to you all today, which I think is a little ironic um, that I didn't want to preach about authority and wrestled with my authority and had to submit to that authority in our preaching here and in our time together. Um, you know, the, the thing about authority, right, in these days and times, it is, it is controversial just to bring it up. And someone asked me earlier, is it a little self-serving? You feel a little self-serving to preach about authority because you are an authority um, over us. And do you feel a little self-serving? And I'm like, not really, but thank you. I do now. Uh, but nonetheless, that's kind of where we're at. So, you know, this is the thing, right? This is the topic that's a little bit sticky. Um, you know, so far in our Christ and Controversy um, series, we've talked about rest. Like, you would agree rest is a good thing. We've talked about hell. You would agree that hell's a real place. Um, you might disagree on, on, on the, the nature of that or the extent of that, but you, it's there. It's in the Bible, right? You'd agree there's predestination. We've talked about that. That's also in the Bible. You'd also probably agree as Christians in the uh, biblical design for human sexuality, which is what we covered last week, where we will start to recoil is when we start talking about honoring the emperor. Uh, because that already is a world that we don't live in. We actually don't live in a world where there's an emperor. We do live in a world where we have an elected official called the president, and there's still a position of authority that we are under. And yet, in our context, does this apply? Well, let's enter into that. Before we do, I want to just give you some context as to why I feel like this is a necessary topic. Anytime we talk about submission, there's always going to be... Speaking of submission, this is not submitting to me, and I don't know what is going on. This is rebellion, right? This is what this is, looks like. We're spinning out of control, but we're going to try not to spin out of control here today. Uh, but, like, if you want to know where we're at, this is a great little snapshot as to how we do with authority and submission. Um, did you know, uh, you've probably heard this on the news, if you haven't labeled that authority as fake, uh, we, you've heard on the news that the FAA has been dealing with unruly passengers in 2021 like in an unprecedented manner. So far in 2021, there have been 3,988 reports of an unruly passenger on a plane. 2,928 of those unruly passengers are masks. Now I want you to get this. When you go and fly, have you flying? Have you, have you flying? Is that a word? We're already in trouble. Perfect. Have you flown? Is that a word? Have you flown since things opened back up? Raise of hands, raise your hands. Ooh, this is a lot of us. When you signed up to fly, didn't you have to sign something, click something, acknowledge something? They make sure you know, hey, there's a mask mandate here, and you're underneath that authority. If you don't submit to that authority, you out. You know that when you go in. We all know that going in, and yet 70, let me count it now, 73% of the unruly passengers know it going in and have issues with it anyways. To give you some broader context, of those reports, they've investigated 693 so far this year. 693 investigations. I want you to put that into perspective. Just in the first eight months of 2021, 693. That is more than 2020. 
And you're like, okay, well, no one flew in 2020. We were all locked down. Yeah, it's more than 2020. It's more than 2019. It's more than 2018. It's more than 2017. It's more than 2016 combined. So over the last five years of unruly, uh, unsubmissive passengers on a plane, we can wrap that up in eight months of 2021. Friends, we are not okay. We're not okay. And a lot of it has to do with we are taking authority that is not ours. God has not given us some authority. And yet we have staked claim to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And yet he said, don't touch it. Okay, friends, it is killing us. It is, the, the, the authority used to be like this. And yet in the last however many years, we have deconstructed authority to where it's flat. It used to be like this, and not all this was good. Some of this, there needed to be some deconstructing. But now it's like every authority is totally flat in the home, in government, in education, in, in religious societies, you name it, it's all flat. Just a flat thing. As a matter of fact, I had a, a conversation this week with a friend of mine um, in a church where he was like, the elders are removing me as lead pastor. They just want to make the hierarchy flat. And I was like, you and I both know that ain't going to work. And he's like, it never has. There is a flattening of authority no matter really where we're at. And I'm telling you right now, we, it's crushing us. We are taking on things that we were not meant for so that when authority does come, we have no idea how really to deal with it. It's a, it we're now accustomed to the rebellion and not nearly as submissive as, as the Lord really wants us. I'm going to start there, right? So like, why are we an anxious and an angry people? Because we've torn down every basic authority we can. The government is slimy. Financial or Wall Street, we've occupied. The media is fake. Our spiritual leaders are abusive. The medical authorities in this country are confusing, right? And education, although they give us options and those are good, that can't be trusted because that new math, that's just funky anyways. Our family, there's no difference. You mentioned submission to a wife or a bridesmaid, which I have done in a wedding in the last few years, and there was a recoil amongst the bridesmaids, and I thought, oh, this is fun. I'll just sit right here in submission. When we just mention the word of authority and submission, we don't like it. We recoil. It's our human nature. Uh, but here's the reality, right, is that it has created us in us anxious and angry people. And it is done so because we have taken places of authority which we have not earned through proper credentials, nor has God given us. Well, how do we know that God has not given us that authority? Because you don't occupy a position of authority. That's how you know. That's how you know. So like when we make decisions in our church about gathering, about spreading out, about doing this, about doing that, I have no medical authority and I don't. We don't make any medical authoritative decisions. We have a spiritual responsibility and a spiritual authority, and so we make spiritual decisions with input from medical communities, et cetera, et cetera, during pandemics. This is not about uh, really truly trying to buck any system, but instead caring for us, us spiritually as well as physically and everything else. So the reality is this, right? We don't know who to, who to trust. We don't know what truth is anymore. Um, me too, bro. It's all good. 
Um, so like we don't, we don't know how to do any of that, right? We don't know to trust. We don't know who's responsible. We don't know any, anything to really uh, wrap our, our minds and our lives around. But we are not the first people in a world where authority wasn't 100% trustworthy, wasn't 100% just, or wasn't 100% pure in their motives. So how do we as Christians live as people that are set apart in this crazy, flattened world where we're angry and we're anxious? How do we live in this world? How do we make a difference? How do we, how do we shine a light, truly, in this dark place? Well, our friend Peter is going to show us the way. Y'all remember Peter, don't you? What was he known for as a disciple? What was that? Brash. Uh, remember when he? Uh, remember when Jesus told him, um, "Hey, it, I'm, the, the Son of Man has come, but he's going to die. He's going to suffer at the hands of the government, and he's going to die. He's going to be put into the ground, and he's going to raise. The Son of Man will suffer many things. And what does Peter do? How dare you, Messiah Christ? And what does Jesus say? You have the things of man in mind, not the things of God. Peter has a long history of not really doing what he's being asked to do. And he has a future, according to when he wrote this, of doing exactly what the authorities asked him to do. I want us to read this with some context, and we'll get to that context in just a moment. But I want you to hear this first. This is the strongest point of the day. You ready? It is God's will that we submit to authority. It's a strong statement. Nobody said amen, I noticed. Maybe I heard you online. Was it you online that said amen? Anybody comment? No? Like It is God's will that we would submit to authority. You think, man, that is a strong statement, brother. I don't make those statements of God's will unless the Lord says it. So let's just read 1 Peter again, 13, excuse me, chapter 2. 13 through 15a. We're going to stop at a. Here we go. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. I already lost my place. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Note this. The purpose of government is to punish and praise. Punish evil, praise good. That's God's purpose in government. They punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Verse 15, for this is the will of God. Not just that they would punish and praise, but that we would be subject to their authorities. God's will that we submit to authority. If we just read the Bible for what it says, we can't opt out of, of being uh, submissive as Christians to the Lord for what he is saying to do. Now, you read something here, and if you read this in a paper Bible or perhaps on the ESV, you have a little footnote where it says every human institution. And if you're not careful, your mind will just go, okay, see there, it doesn't really mean that. But it does. The, the words here are literally like every human creation. And it's, the idea there is that it's ordained for government. So every human creation, every human institution we are called as believers to be subject to, to submit to. And so I would ask, like, what institutions are you supposed to submit to, Christians? Have you opted out of this? 
Have you already started to create caveats in your mind if you're hearing this? You're going, oh, no, it can't, be, it can't mean that. Have you gotten to the caveat list of the things that it can't mean? But it says every human institution. All right. It definitely means your emperor or your president. Now, you may like this president more than the last one. You may have liked the last one more than this one. You might like the next one more than this one. I don't know where you are politically. The point is not the person. The point is the position that we are to be subject. Not just the president, but also, he says, the governors, the local governors, including the county judge, that you may not like what they have to say, especially in maybe the last 18 months. Including that guy or lady, your local authority, your governors, your judges, your police, your tax assessors. Do you rebel against that one? How about your hunting license? That was mine. I don't know why, but like that was my issue this week. I was wrestling through. Because I remember going and dove hunting on a, on a friend's lease, and I thought, this is literally my thought as pastor of this church, so forgive me. No one will know that I'm on that lease hunting. We'll be fine. And I went, and I hunted dove, and they were delicious, but they were illegal. And I should have repented more, more this week because it's illegal. And so I caveated myself out of the authority of what people will find out about me or what, what they'll actually be able to catch me do. It's like 30 bucks. My integrity is worth $30, apparently. That was a long time ago, so don't judge me. At least, at least six months ago. No, it was a long time ago. How about your spiritual authorities, partners of this church, partners, members of any church? How about your spiritual authorities? How about your medical authorities? Oh, we're getting into your business tonight now. Every human institution. See, the overriding ethic of a Christian in the New Testament is to submit to authorities, even if the government doesn't do, verse 14, perfectly, of punishing and praising. And you might think to yourself, surely there's some caveats here. Surely there's some problems here. Let me read a few other passages so we can get our mind around the New Testament ethic, not just Peter's idea on what this looks like. Remember a guy named Paul? He wrote Romans 13. Romans 13, 1 and 2 say this. Now, this is going to start getting really down to where we go, right? Romans 13, 1 and 2. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For why, Paul? For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. Well, how do we know that God appointed these people to be in charge? Because they're in charge. You mean these things can't be stolen or rigged or? Nope. Not according to God's wisdom. That no matter how it happened, it happened. Whatever you think about all that, that these things are still in place. So every authority is in place because God put them in place. Titus 3, again, a letter from Paul to his buddy Titus on the island of Crete. Now I want you to read this in the context of. Paul has already called Cretans liars. He's already called Cretans evil beasts and lazy gluttons. And then he says to Titus, in Titus 3, 1 and 2, remind everyone to be submissive to the rulers and authorities. Yeah, the lazy ones, the gluttons, the ones that are evil. Submit to the rulers and authorities to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. Hello, Facebook. To avoid quarreling. Oh, hi, Twitter. To be gentle. Oh, hello, me. 
and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. You see, it's not just the governments, but every institution. Slaves, submit to your masters. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, it says, likewise, submit to your wives. Now, you may not see the word submit there in 1 Peter 3, verse 7, but this is because the husbands need a little reminding, including myself. Verse 7 of chapter 3, if your Bible's open, it's on the same page. It says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding. Likewise to what? Likewise to the previous paragraph where... It says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Likewise to what? Well, right up there to servants. Likewise, be subject to your masters. Likewise to what? To everyone being subject to the governing authority. We're all called to be submissive. Younger Christians, submit to your elders. Obey your leaders, Hebrews 13, 17 would say. And submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls. Church, we submit to Christ because Christ is the head of the church. The entire Christian life is about submission. (laughs) What have we made it about? How you guys doing? You guys good? It's hitting us. If we're good, I would say it's, it's not hit. I was telling, I, I'm not good. I haven't been good all week. Because I'm reminded I don't like the policies at Frost Elementary drop off. I don't like the policies of Frost Elementary pickup. They're my authority, though. So they better not cut in line, dude. If they tell you not to walk up, don't walk up. Don't stand up there like you're all brash. Maybe that's just to me. These are the realities, right? I've had a hard time. I'm a, I'm a rebellious dude when it comes to some policies that I just disagree with. Aren't we all? You see, this is a matter of our hearts. How well we submit to authority. If, you got, if you're taking notes, write this down. How well we submit to authority, to the authority of Jesus is on display with how well we submit to human authority. How well we submit to the authority of Jesus is on display with how well we submit to human authority. In other words, if we have a problem with submitting to human authority, guaranteed we're going to have problems submitting to Jesus. That's why we confessed that beautiful confession that though you have said all authority in heaven and earth has been given to you, Jesus, and you say go and make disciples, man, we've made the Christian life about something different. So you say to yourself, well, Peter just doesn't understand the world that we're in. He just doesn't understand. I mean, these guys are corrupt. I mean, they're, they're misinformed. They're unjust. They're, they're infringing on our freedoms. Never forget, friends, that the Bible is written in a real place in a real time, and Peter would be killed by this emperor. The one that he says to honor and respect and subject, be subject to, this is just a few years before the emperor Nero would kill Peter. Crucify him upside down. Never forget that the guy who wrote Romans 13 that says to be subject to all governing authorities because they all come from God, he had his head chopped off by Nero. To the book of, to the church in Rome, that was there that Paul was beheaded for the sake of the gospel. Remember Jesus who stood before Pilate. Remember this conversation with Pilate? And Pilate looks at him and he's like, do you want me to set you free? And Jesus says what to him? Well, I'll read it to you. So, uh, excuse me, John 19, 10 through 11. So Pilate has said to him, you will, not speak to, will you not speak to me? Jesus, uh, or Pilate says, do you not know that I have the authority to release you and I have the authority to crucify you? And Jesus, honoring the emperor and the governor before him and yet honoring his father in heaven even more. Jesus answered him, you, have ha- you, have ha- you would have no authority over me 
at all unless it had been given to you from above. You think to yourself, man, these, these authorities are wrong. Well, not as wrong as that. And yet Jesus was submissive. Jesus was subject. Jesus continued to be obedient even in the face of injustice. How can this be? You see, this is why this is so powerful. It's not that you are right or you're wrong, although we've made a lot of the Christian life to be either right or wrong. It is that you, you may have a claim to truth. You may be 100% correct in your scientific finding in the journal or in the blog or in the Facebook world that we're in. We may be 100% correct in all of that. Jesus was 100% correct. And yet he laid those rights down for the good of others. See, what makes Christian living so compelling, so powerful to win those over who are watching is that though we have the rights to certain thing, to a certain thing, we lay those rights down to, and submit to human authority for someone else's good. So we are no longer to be a people, right? Christians are to be the kind of people who quit striving for power over other people over other human beings, over people that bear the same image of God, and instead we have to be about laying down our power for the good of another. The Christian life is about having authority and yet laying it down for the sake of another. I wonder if we'll grasp onto that when we see this. And we might say, like, what's the big deal here? Well, verse 15 says this, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you would put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. When we are subject in a way that is different than those around us, we silence the foolishness of those that are looking on. All right, so it's God's will. That's what it says. This is the Lord's will. But you may be thinking to yourself, all right, what about my freedom? I got some freedom here in this country. I'm not under the Roman rule. I got freedom. And Peter knew you'd say that. Peter knew you'd be thinking about your freedom when he says be subject. You see, true freedom is in service to God. And you might say, well, what do I mean? Well, here's what it says in verse 16. Peter knew we would be thinking about freedom when he says be subject. Verse 16, live as people who are free. Be free. But not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. You see, true freedom is in service to God. In this country, we use, things, uh, use terms like freedom and liberty, which really means I can do whatever I want. It's a free country, right? That's the terms that we use. These are the, like a year and some months ago, the news was showing all the people that were in Sam's and in Costco and in Walmart and in Target, and they were freaking out saying, I live in America. You can't impose that on me. That's, that's seeping into us as Christians. But that is not the Christian view of freedom because it says right there at the end of verse 16, we use our freedom, quote, as servants of God. You see, true Christian freedom doesn't mean I do whatever I want, but, it does, but I do whatever God wants. I am bound to do what Jesus wants me to do. Peter warns Christians, don't use your freedom as an excuse to please yourself. Well, how would that be? Well, in Peter's day, Christians were being accused of treason. 
You see, Christians in that day, they were being forced, is Caesar Lord or is Jesus Lord? And they would go, Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is my ultimate Lord. And so there's an accusation there against Christians that they were treasonous, that they ought to be put to death because they will not acknowledge Caesar as their king, as their emperor, as their Lord. But that's probably not the thing that is going on today, right? We're probably not being accused of treason. But where are we on that spectrum as American Christians or as Christians who are American? Perhaps the accusation would not be treason for us. Perhaps the accusation today would be that we're too loyal, we're too hopeful in a human institution. We're too loyal to uh, a voting color or a particular person. We put too much hope in these human institutions that we are to be subject to because they were not made They were not created by God. They were not ordained by God to do some of the things that we had hoped for them to do. They're there to punish and reward. So my question, like if we look at, I don't know, where we're at today, is this. How do we navigate these waters of freedom and submission? When do we submit and when do we say, all right, enough is enough? Because we've all had that. I mean, I can look at my life just in the last 18 months, and there's been times where I've gone, all right, enough is enough. When do we do that? When is it appropriate? Well, I'll give you one big uh, like flow chart that I didn't put up here. But just think about this. If you are, are, you are, you are freed to, sub, to not submit, in other words, you do not submit when, to humans when those humans call us to do something that is explicitly against God's law, such as murder or to face God's image. What do you mean? Way back in the day, there was a guy named Pharaoh. He was kind of the emperor of Egypt, right? He governed everything. And he didn't like that the Hebrews were gaining influence. He didn't like that the Hebrews were starting to multiply and get really populous in their country. And so he thought to himself, one way to take care of this generation that's coming up is just go ahead and kill all the Hebrew little boys. And so what did he have them do? He told the midwives that when you see the Hebrew wives starting to have a baby... If you see it's a boy, you're there to help, midwife. If you see it's a boy, kill it. If it's a girl, she can live. But if it's a boy, they're out. And what do the midwives do? As those that are called to be subject to every authority over them. They did not submit. Instead, Exodus 1 would say this, verse 17 and then 21. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children leave. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Wives, if your husband is leading you into sin, do not submit. Y'all hear me? Employee, if if your employer is calling you into sin to shade your ethical uh, uh, integrity, do not submit. Citizen, if, you're, if your government is telling you to do something that, that is sinful, don't submit. But that's about the limit of this freedom that God would give us in this. And that there are so many more nuanced realities than what I could possibly uh, uncover here today. But let's, let's just say that the law or mandate is not there. Let's just say that you're in a world where there's recommendations for you, et cetera, et cetera. There's not a mandate, but there's just recommendations for you. Do you automatically opt out of those recommendations because you disagree? Well, 
1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24 give you a great grid. So if you're, um, if you're a teenager in this room, um, you have a responsibility right now. This is like, this is your time to go, okay, like Lance is going to give me some good wisdom on how to navigate some things. And then you can help your younger kid, your younger siblings that are in here, right? Because there's a lot of younger kids that normally are not in here due to COVID and everything else. So if you're a student in here, I want you to just hear this grid that God himself gives us about how to make wise decisions. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24. Now, we talked about this last week when we, uh, when we had quotes in the, in, the, in the Corinthian world. He's quoting the Corinthians. They're telling them, oh yeah, but all things are lawful for me. Like, I can do all things. And Paul is quoting that back to them and go, yeah, all things are lawful, end quote. That's what you're saying to Paul. Now, Paul will say, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, you might say, O Corinthian. And Paul would say, but not all things build up. And then he says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. So here's the grid on making decisions on how do we do this nuanced walk of authority and freedom. Number one, is it lawful? Is it okay to do in this land? That's number one. Number two, is it lawful according to God? So I'll give you an example. Is abortion legal? Yes. Is it illegal according to God? No. Done. Done deal. We'll talk about that later. Sorry about that, parents. But that's, that's the first thing that comes to the top of my head, right? Is, is that legal? Yes. Is it, is it legal by God? No. There are some other things that are going to come down the pike. Um, I'll use a word here. It's, it's medicinal, okay? And it's a plant, okay? If you're not prepared for that, on how you're going to handle that in your home with teenagers, there is no explicit command out of God's law that's going to prohibit you from doing that. So what do you do? You don't go to God's law. You go to God's explanation of the law, and you start to see that our body is a temple of the Spirit, that God clearly says don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So although it may be legal, and although it may be ambiguous in God's Word, then you've got to start going down, is it beneficial? Is it building someone else up? Does it build all things up? No. Is it seeking my own good? Yes. Is it seeking the good of a neighbor? No. Okay, well, then that grid helps us understand that that would be out for the Christian. That would not be permissible for the Christian. Okay, you could run through all sorts of scenarios in this. I'll just run those two through you. Is it lawful? Is it the the, the law of the land? Is it God's law? Does God say it's okay? Is it beneficial for me? And is it building up? Of others. Those are your four questions. And if you can get through all that and it still be a yes, it still may not mean that you don't submit. But it might mean you have an out. And that's where we have to have freedom and we also have to have respect for anybody that disagrees with us on things that are not explicitly taught in the scriptures. Can we like can we have a good understanding of tolerance and respect? Because we're gonna end with honor everyone. So we're going to end. Just because you think that you have the authority. I think that I may have the authority on X, Y, or Z doesn't mean that God has given it to me. And if you disagree with my stance on X, Y, or Z doesn't mean that we have to disfellowship. That actually would probably be sin if we're going to disfellowship on that. But instead, let us be united around the one true king who's calling us 
into this kind of world where we have to use the Spirit. We have to be empowered by the Spirit to make these decisions as we go forward. I'll give you two examples of people that did not use their freedom for themselves. The first one is David. Y'all remember David? Old Testament was anointed king. Problem was there was another king on the throne. His name was Saul. Saul hunted David in the wilderness. A lot of Psalms are written out in the wilderness when David was being hunted. What happens? Saul is in a cave one day doing what you do, and guess who's in the cave? He doesn't know it. It's David. David had an opportunity to kill Saul. He was already king. He was already anointed king. He could have taken him out right there. And what does David say? No, no, no. Far be it from me to touch the Lord's anointed. If God wants to take him out, 1 Samuel will tell us, then God will take him out in war. It won't be by my hand. You see, he could have been an opportunist. He could have said, well, the Lord's delivered him into my hand. I'll take him out. He does not use his freedom as something to be abused for someone else. That's the first example. The second example is Paul and Silas. Y'all remember Paul and Silas in Acts 16? They're in uh, a jail, right? And, and you get this story of the Philippian jailer. But do you remember the story of the Philippian jailer? They're in jail. God sends an earthquake. And all the doors open up. And not only that, but their chains fall off. The, the lights are out. And, and, and all of a sudden, the Philippian jailer is there. And he's like, I lost all the prisoners if any, any prisoner escapes on my watch, they're going to kill me. I'm going to go ahead and kill myself right now. And Paul, seeing this, heard this, knew that the guy was about to kill himself. And he goes, hey, 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 no, no, don't do that. We're all in here still. Literal freedom was put before him. And Paul continued to be imprisoned, not for his sake, but for the sake of someone else. That's a great picture of the kind of life that God is calling us to live. So, friends, how will you use your freedom? How will you exercise your rights? Or will we be people who submit to authority, knowing that God has put that authority in place? And if he did put that authority in place, whether we voted for them, whether we uh, agree with them, whether we acknowledge that authority or not, that's the reality. If he did put those authorities in place in this way, in this time, will we serve him as God's servant by being subjected, submissive to them? So finally, not just as the Lord's will for us to live submissive lives, lives, not just that true freedom is found in service to our God, but finally, as servants, as God's servants, how should we live? We pursue the good of others. Verse 17, it says, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Paul gives us four ways to live this out. We honor, we place high value, we put high respect on everyone, believer or not believer, red or blue, black or white, refugee or someone who was born here, Native American or someone who, who, who descended from, from Europe. We, we, like, th these are the realities that are pressing in on us is that we honor everyone. Why? Because they're made in the image of God. Can we say the attitudes of our hearts, though we disagree with people, is honorable, is respectful of those other people? Second, we love the brotherhood. Agape love is that of seeking another's deepest good at whatever expense to yourself. And you might think to yourself, whatever expense, 
You mean to tell me that i got to do that in order to love people? Yeah, yeah, whatever expense to yourself in order to seek and serve the betterment of another. You might think, well, I don't know about that agape love. Well, then you don't know about Jesus. Let me tell you about Him. And we'll end on His example in just a moment. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. There's a deeper commitment to your church family, y'all. It should be more unified in your church family than it is online. It's love. Lay down. Build up the brotherhood. Third, we fear God. In our freedom, let there be a measure of reverence which guides us into obedience. Yes, we will fail, but we do so in full sight of God's care for us. And then finally, honor the emperor. I'm going to say this, and some of y'all might not like it. But hashtag not my president doesn't belong in the vernacular of a Christian. Eek. It got really thick all of a sudden. I have to repent of that one too. Because you believe that there would be presidents that I, I don't agree with? Not me, my strong opinions. God put that person as president for a reason, and I must honor that position because I am, first of all, a servant of my God. And he says to. So we honor. We have great respect for the position, right? God gave that person to us as a gift to punish evil and to praise good. And although you or I may disagree with policy or practice, we do so honorably, respectfully, and with full faith that God has set that person in authority over us. So, this is where I really um, wanted to land today. I know we have a lot of hurting people. And the last thing you need to hear is, get in line. And that's not my intent. Instead, my hope is to free you truly free you from a position that God did not give you by trying to stake claim to a, a, a piece of authority that you don't have. There's a lot of freedom in not having authority. There's a lot. I was talking about this with a friend of mine this week, and they were talking about how his boss wants him to be the expert on, on X, Y, or Z, and he's like, but I'm not an expert on that. I'm not an expert on that. You can't make me do that. I'm not the authority on that. Someone else can be the authority on that. There's a lot of freedom in not being the authority on all the things. And, and so that person, I think, went to their boss and was like, you got to get somebody else to do that. I'm not the person. The, the world will operate that they're in a whole lot smoother if I don't do what you're asking me to do. There's a lot of freedom in not having the authority that really we're not qualified to have. My hope is that we would be freed up from staking claim to that which, was, which is not ours, but also, like, why would we be motivated to live this way? After all, we are free in Christ. And I would say this is because the way, this is the way of Jesus' people. And we have benefited from his kind of living, from the kind of living which could exercise freedom to protect themselves, but instead laid it down to serve the other. He could have rested in being right. He could have rested in uh, being uh, righteous. But instead, he laid down so much, becoming obedient, even to the point of death on the cross, and I would ask, will we follow his example uh, that he had, that Jesus put before us? 
A lot of times, and I had this conversation with the elders this week, a lot of times we want to focus on the crown that we're going to get in heaven. It's full of jewels. We want to focus on King Jesus who has this beautiful crown in heaven as he reigns and rules over all people and all things. But on his way to that crown, he took that crown off and instead he put on a crown of thorns, the crown of a servant, the crown of a thief, the crown of someone being condemned under an unjust law, an unjust government, so that he would serve the good of others. Will we do the same? Will we do the same? Will we love the brotherhood? Because this is how Peter ends this, and then we'll end together today with this as well, and then we'll have communion. Look what Peter says, verse 18 through now 25, I'll just put this up there, or hopefully they'll put this up there, I'll read this. Servants, slaves, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to do good and to the good and gentle, but also the unjust. Even when it's unjust. I would imagine if there's ever a time to break someone out of an unjust system, it would be when someone is a slave to a master, and yet it, 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 that's not what the scriptures do. He says this, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, that is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, to suffer like this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you. Look at the example of Jesus, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps, not just to admire, but to follow the ways of Jesus. He committed no sin, neither was, the, neither was deceit found in his mouth, but when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly, not to Pilate, to his father. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed for you were straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And so friends return. If you found yourself rebellious and wandering and holding on to a piece of authority that God never gave you, return to the one authority that matters, the shepherd and overseer of your souls. That's me. It's certainly me. I, I, and I'll bet you it's you. Our good and gracious God has died for us so that we may be free. Free to serve Him as our Master, as our Lord, and as our King. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we say that but we mean it. He is our Lord. You are our Lord. You are the King. And as uncomfortable as this many times can be, especially in this context, as difficult as it is to, to be a people that are known to be submissive, well, that's going to mean that they're going to call me a sheep. That's going to mean that we they don't have a mind of my own. That's going to mean that... Blah, 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 blah. Oh, but that we would take up the wisdom of your scriptures and realize this is how we silence ignorance, is by following you. By ultimately laying down what we think is right because we know that you know better than us. You are right, O oh Lord. So we submit to you ultimately. We entrust ourselves to him who judges justly. And that is our king. That is our father. 
So as we respond now, let us be reminded of our one true authority, and that is King Jesus. We love you. We only can love you because you first loved us. We're really grateful. We're grateful that you have put governments in place to protect us from ourselves and to help us. May we see your goodness. May we see your sovereignty. May we see your wisdom in all things. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.